The story of Hosea and Gomer is a heartbreaking story. It could be called the tragedy of the parsonage. This story involves pain and infidelity, yet grace can be found in the middle of it. It's autobiographical, the story of Hosea's own family. And the setting is a time of gross immorality. Amos 2.7 tells us that a father and son use the same woman to satisfy their lust. You were never far from a place where Baal was worshipped, the god of fertility. At night you could hear the beat of the Israel's of uh, the beat of the priest's music and the laughter of the sacred prostitutes. Husbands and wives sacrificed their infants to Baal in frenzy devotion, and Baal worship was everywhere you turned. Perhaps because of this context, Hosea decided not to marry. He's already grown, he's already a prophet, and God comes to him with this undesirable message. Go and build a home with a prostitute and begin a family with her. This may be one of the strangest directives God has given anyone in all of our Bibles. I mean, how would you feel about this message being delivered to you from the Holy One? Some writers say it's important to realize that when Hosea married Gomer, she wasn't a prostitute. So in essence, God tells Hosea, I want you to marry a woman knowing she will become guilty of adultery and have children knowing they will be victims of adultery. I'm guessing Hosea grew up in a home much like some of us. His parents taught him to fear Jehovah, the one true God of Israel. Uh, They taught him to run from the worship of Baal and instead to pray daily, to sing the songs of David, to hunger for the coming of the Messiah. Hosea was attuned to God, and he clearly heard God's word for him to get married. And then it happened. Just like it happened to us who are married, Hosea met Diblaim's daughter, She was stunningly beautiful in his eyes, her ivory face framed with a wealth of black hair. I'm sure he loved her, or he wouldn't have married her, and she loved him. In fact, she was swept off her feet by his love. He was one of the few men who could bring her a body of untainted purity to the marriage altar. One person describes Hosea with these words, he had the art of a poet, the zeal of a patriot, and the heart of a prophet. And there they stood together beneath a flowered canopy of a Hebrew marriage altar. They pledged their eternal love to God and to each other. They listened as God's laws on marriage were read. They were reminded their marriage was a symbol of a marriage between Jehovah and Israel. And Hosea looked forward, like every newlywed, to the future with excitement and hope. And for a while, their home was filled with love for each other. But then a problem arose. Gomer was moving away from her devotion to Jehovah. She was getting away from God being her number one concern. The fact was, Hosea was a prophet above all else, and as a prophet, he had to preach warning and a call to repentance to the nation of Israel. He wouldn't because he couldn't take her to the parties and revelries of the worship of Baal. And I'm sure these familiar words flew out of her mouth. You love work more than you love me. Preach, preach, preach. That's all you ever think about. All you want to talk about is doom, destruction, damnation. I'm tired of it. I'm losing my friends. People we used to run around with look down on us. They, they avoid us. And Hosea responds to her, Gomer, don't you see those are the things that are leading our nation to destruction? God's given me the privilege and the opportunity to help change things. And Gomer shoots back, I don't care what God says. He's not the only God anyway. Hosea has but one purpose, to warn God's people of what is to come if they don't repent. 
It wasn't long before Hosea was living in a house you could hardly call a home. Uh, Maybe this went on for years, and then he experienced a glimpse of renewed hope. Gomer was pregnant, and in time, a son was born, and Hosea holds that son in his arms, and he looks into his face, and he's told by God to name him Jezreel. Jezreel, that's the valley between Mount Carmel and Mount Tabor, the valley of Megiddo. That's the place where God's armies always were outnumbered, yet always won the victory. God was naming this boy victory. But hold on. Jezreel literally means scattered. God has named him Jezreel not for victory, but because Hosea and his wife are about to be scattered from each other. Hosea hoped Jezreel would put one hand on him and the other on his wife and things would get better. Life would be like it once was. But Hosea was wrong. Gomer became distant and a sensual look flashed in her eye after that birth. They had a daughter next. Her name was Lo-Rama, which means unloved, for that's the way Hosea felt in his own home. Gomer really began to drift after the second child was born, often leaving after putting the kids to bed, and she would not return until dawn, and she grew worn and rebellious. Months, maybe years later, another son was born. His name was Loami, which means not my own, or better yet, no kin of mine. And Hosea's doubt became certain. The child born into his own home was not his. And he experienced days of deep despair. He couldn't sing the songs of David. His heart was broken. And still, he doesn't divorce her. People told him he should. They said to him, Hosea, you're, you're such a fool. Here's a prophet preaching morality, living with a prostitute. But he loved her. And he went on preaching. Maybe it happened this way. One day he came home, not a sound in the house, deathly quiet, no smell of dinner being cooked, no sound of out back where laundry was done, no noise of conversation from a neighbor in the house. He only heard a whimper coming from the children's room, and he goes in and sees all three children there alone. He looks around the house for a hint of where Gomer might be, and on the kitchen table he finds this note, Hosea. I don't love you anymore. I haven't loved you for years. I don't love the children. I don't feel anything for them nor you. I've gone after my lovers. They fulfill me, and you don't. Please just leave me away. Just leave me alone. Don't come after me. I'm not, I'm not coming back. No longer yours, Gomer. He put the children to bed, he went over to the window, and he looked out at the night and into the next day, and the next night, and the next day, and nights without stars, and days without sun, until he realized she is definitely gone. And a blight fell upon his soul, his prayers seemed to sink downward. But Jehovah stirred him, telling him he was going to use this experience to illustrate his own love for Israel. Hosea saw deeper into the heart of God than anybody had ever seen or maybe ever would again, that is, until Jesus died on the cross. There's no way to describe the anguish Hosea must, felt, must have felt at this time in his life. I mean, try to put yourself in his sandals. Maybe, maybe for a few of you, this is all too real. Hosea was disappointed as a husband. He was rejected as a man. He has been humiliated in the eyes of his community and left with the care of three young children, 
one of whom was definitely not his own, and maybe two who weren't. To his credit, he didn't run, he didn't hide, he didn't wilt, he survived and kept going. He wrestled with the most intimate of heartaches, and out of this experience, a couple of insights emerged. The story possesses all we need to be introduced to the love of God. We can identify with Gomer, who ran from the, one, uh, from the only one who truly and completely cares about her. Uh, God is explaining to us this great dynamic that's taking place in the universe. He wanted Hosea to experience this, and he wanted him to write it down for all of us to read for all time. God wants us to know how he feels. This account of Hosea's experience shows us that you, you get to the truth and the root of theology, not through lists or flow charts or word studies, but by living daily with this amazing God who relentlessly pursues us, who inexplicably loves us, who left heaven and came down to be near us to make his home among us. Hosea's God-authored story is, is a shocking and dramatic way of describing this divine human relationship. I mean, why did God choose Israel and not the Assyrians? Why not the Egyptians? This choice could no more be explained rationally than two people could tell you why they fell in love. What we know is that God has a passion for us. He wants us to be close to, he wants to, be close to us in the deepest of relationships. This is one of the deep truths of the Bible. Jesus didn't say the greatest command was to respect the Lord your God or even to serve the Lord your God. He said the greatest command is what? To love the Lord your God. And we ask, how is this possible? How can we do this? It's only possible because he loved me first. Hosea may have been the first person to understand this reality. The way of God with women and men is the way of love affection, intimacy. John Claypool offers this thought about this story. After Hosea, God could never be regarded impersonally again. By realizing that the Almighty felt toward Israel and all mankind the way he felt for Gomer and there was affected by the sin of Israel the way he had been affected by Gomer's sin, Hosea immeasurably deepened and personalized the image of God and the emotional stakes of the divine human encounter were raised forever. In chapter 11 and verse 8, God says this to Hosea, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. See, God's words show this isn't about a formula. It's not about getting a list right. God is not man, and he comes down to love first, to love last, to love completely, courageously, confoundingly, and that's one insight that we glean from Hosea's story. I mentioned to you several weeks ago that I wanted us to peel back uh, the covers and the lives of a few men and women in the Old Testament with the goal of seeing how God treated them in their specific situations. If we can see how God treated them, we can know then how God will treat us. We already talked about Jonah and Joseph and Leah. This month we're going to look at Esther and Elijah and Job. But today I wonder, how does Hosea's true life drama connect to you? God said to Israel, I have a charge against you. There's no faithfulness in this land. 
When I made a commitment to you to form you into a nation and adopt you as my family, we made promises to each other. The problem is, I'm the only one keeping my word. So the question for us is, you know, how about me? How about you? Are, are we keeping our word? Have we kept our word? Are you living with memories of unfaithfulness? Memories which have built a, a wall between you and God in some very specific ways. Or maybe memories which have fueled your journey away from him. You know you haven't been a promise keeper, and you know God has kept his. Hosea simply shows Gomer there's nothing she can do to stop him from loving her. And God is pressing the same truth into us. If you think you've gone too far or gone too often, what will God do with you? Well, let's look to see what happens next to find out. Hosea is out preaching one day. Uh, Gomer is standing on a street corner looking for a good time, and his heart still misses her. If only he could stop loving her, stop caring for her, put an end to this hurt. But he can't seem to do that. He, he can't turn it off. And he begins to realize how God must suffer in his feelings for Israel. On a different day, he sees her out on the street again, and he walks up to her, and he asks, he asks her, Gomer, just please come home with me. Just come home. And she says, didn't you read my note I'm not interested in living with you. I don't love the kids. I don't love you. And away she walks in the arms of another customer. And he he cups his hands and he says to her, anytime you want to come home, the door's open. I love you. I miss you. But she just keeps on walking. She isn't coming home. God shows up again and gives this directive to Hosea. Go find your wife. Go find your wife. Love her as I love Israel, even though they turn to other gods, even though they're unfaithful to me. And you've got to wonder what went through Hosea's mind when this directive came. He's like, please, God, not again. I, I don't know if I can do this again. And to be honest, if she breaks my heart a second time, I, it may be broken for good. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And God says to Hosea, I understand. I know how you feel. And what we see in this real life story is that God doesn't just come after us once. He doesn't just save us once. When he makes a promise to his people, when he makes a promise to me, he keeps it. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't walk away in disgust disgust because of where I've been. He relentlessly pursues us. God is the loving husband who compels his wife with his love, not with fear. Hosea's love is so powerful, so relentless. Never once did he threaten her with divorce, but he instead lavished her with grace and mercy. And you may remember this word that I've thrown out to you over the last few years, this word hesed. We've talked about it before. This is the word God uses to describe himself For the first time in Moses in Exodus 34. And I want to remind you of the definition. Hesed is when the one from whom you expect nothing gives you everything. When the one from whom you expect nothing gives you everything. Is there any better display of Hesed than the way Hosea treats Gomer? 
some friends said word to Hosea, Gomer's selling herself on the slave market. How she must despise Hosea. All she has to do is go home. The door's always been open. She has a home waiting for her. And I don't know what Hosea was doing when he heard this news, but whatever it was, he dropped it right there. He ran to his home. He got whatever money he had out of the coffee can, and he sprinted toward town. He knew exactly where to go and how to get there as quickly as possible. And then he saw her in a line on a raised platform, standing among a string of worn-out, tired beaten down and used up bodies. Her ribs stuck out. Her hair was matted, looking decades older than she was. Stark naked she stood there and no man stared at her in lust. I don't know if anybody else bid on her or not, but I can imagine Hosea slowly walking up to the platform, trying to make eye contact with Gomer. She wouldn't look at him. She couldn't look at him. And he held up a change bag containing a slave's ransom, 15 shekels of silver and 10 bushels of barley. And laying his offering at the feet of the priest of Baal, he pointed his finger directly at Gomer and he said, I want her. And she turned her head and looked him in the eye and he said to her, I choose you. you want to know how God treats you and me in our unfaithfulness and our rebellion and our forgetfulness? He searches for us relentlessly and he finds us on the slave block and he looks us in the eye and he says to us, I choose you. That was Hosea's way of identifying with God who identified with him, of beginning this painful task of trying to rebuild what has been torn down. The book of Hosea ends with an invitation. Hosea may not have been amazed that God never gave up on Israel because he too was made in the image of God and the evidence of God's steadfast love, his hesed, lay in the fact that he still loved Gomer. He still had hopes for her. She had broken his heart, but he still loved her. She had sold her body to anyone who was willing to pay, but he still loved her. She had refused to even consider coming back home, but he still loved her. And when he saw her at the slave market selling all she had left, Hosea didn't accuse her. He didn't condemn her. He never said, it serves you right because of all the humiliation you brought upon me. Without a word, he bagged up all he may have had, his life savings, and he laid it at the feet of the slave trader. We're not told how Gomer responds to this proposal from Hosea. Hosea says to her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. It's almost unthinkable she could have refused his offer of such incredible hesed. Surely, if anything could grab her heart, something like this would do it. For Hosea to do this for her in light of what she did to him, what could be more compelling? I believe it's pretty obvious where we can go with Hosea's story. It's, it's you and it's me on the slave block. And we've broken promises. We've been unfaithful. We've left home behind looking for something, something we really can't even name. We've sold out for empty promises of counterfeit gods. And all along the way, God has been true to his word, true to himself, and he's been true to you.
Jesus leaves heaven and comes to live with us to show us what God's like. And then one day, he arrives at the slave market, not with silver or with barley, but he brings his own life. And he looks us in the eye and he says, I choose you. I choose you to live with me forever. I choose you to be faithful to me. I choose you to come home. What will you do with his invitation? Let's stand and sing together.